Have you ever sensed God testing your love for him by prompting you to repair a broken relationship? Having learned in the previous chapter that Jacob had power with God, we now learn that he has power with men. Genesis 33 gives to us the record of the reconciliation between Jacob and Esau before they part ways and Jacob settles in Shechem. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. With Esau on the horizon, Jacob decides to divide his family into three companies in a way that reflects the ongoing favoritism in his heart, but also has a practical side, as he protects his family and endeavours to fulfil God's plan should Esau decide to get violent. Like the Lord Jesus leaving Gethsemane only to walk purposefully straight into the hands of his enemies, Jacob now has the courage to lead the way as he goes toward Esau, and he does so with humility, bowing before him seven times. And the result is entirely unexpected. Esau, seeing his brother approach in this humble posture, runs towards him, embraces him, falls on his neck and kisses him, and they both begin to weep. So the three bands of Jacob's family approach Esau and Jacob one by one. Then they begin to discuss the gift. Now, Esau initially rejects what Jacob is offering, but in Jacob's mind, and such is the etiquette of the day, that he must insist upon Esau taking this, because if he doesn't, he might have reason to go away thinking there's still something between the two of them. Now, as you read these opening 11 verses, perhaps you're wondering why Jacob says to Esau, I have seen thy face as though I have seen the face of God. Now, the answer to that question is found in the fact that Jacob, as he looks at Esau and sees his smile and acceptance, can see the smile of divine favour in the providence of God. In verses 12 through 17, the question arises, where will Jacob settle? Now, Esau offers assistance and encourages Jacob to join him in Seir. However, Jacob puts it off initially, arguing the case that it will drive the party too fast, there are those with young and of course, in the background is the idea that they've been travelling for hundreds of miles by this stage and no doubt are weary. Esau then offers to Jacob servants, but Jacob doesn't need any more than he has. And so Esau finally makes his way back home to Seir. Jacob has intimated his intention to see him there, but he makes his way to Succoth and raises a temporary dwelling there, perhaps waiting for the Jordan to be crossable. It's at this stage that many commentators are very critical of Jacob. They suggest that he was being deceitful to Esau, indicating that he was going to go to Seir, but we don't know. We simply don't know whether Jacob maybe paid a short visit himself or what went on. And so in verses 18 through 20, Jacob finally returns to Canaan. Now I see two possible shortcomings here, one relating to where he settles, the other relating to the purchase of land. He settles in Shechem, and it would seem to me that really what he ought to have done going back to Genesis 28 is return to Bethel, but he doesn't do that. And then he buys land. Now, Abraham, of course, bought a piece of land in order to bury Sarah, but, but here Jacob is buying land even though he has a promise from God that this land is going to be given to his posterity. So it raises the question, is this really an act of faith? The purchasing of land seems to militate against simply taking God at his word. However, in the positive, Jacob builds his first altar. 
and he calls it God, the God of Israel, as a monument and testimony against all the idolatry that surrounded him in the area. And so we come to application. One, men should take responsibility and lead in danger. Having met with God, Jacob is enabled to overcome his fear of Esau. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Although Jacob orders his family into three companies, he is willing to lead the way. Fathers, maintain this order, model it, and teach it to your sons. This is not to say that women must be fearful or live in fear, but simply to recognize the biblical and the biological distinctions between the sexes, and to encourage the fact that really men, all things being equal, are built to protect and women are built to nurture. I encourage men and women to maintain these distinctions and to discourage our daughters from joining the military or the police force. However modern society may romanticize all of this, it is against the creator order. Two, the gospel is the priority for all believers. The conferring of the birthright upon Jacob gave him a place of superiority within the family and a right to a greater inheritance. But note how he shows deference to Esau with regard to his position, his humility before him, and the gift that he gives him. For all of his faults, the hope of having the Messiah through his line meant more to Jacob than any other aspect of the birthright. Christian, learn it well. Everything is secondary to the gospel. Because if men believe not that Christ is the I am, they will die in their sins. 3. A man's words gives away the condition of his heart. In this brief exchange between Jacob and Esau, Jacob makes reference to God three times, whereas Esau makes no reference to God whatsoever. In addition, in verses 9 and 11, it records that both men respond, I have enough. But in the original Hebrew, there's a distinction here. The language indicates from Esau's perspective that he has all the material things that he would need. Whereas Jacob is responding in a way that really communicates the idea, I have everything. I don't just have all I need, I have everything. And the idea is that whereas Esau had the material things he desired, because Jacob had God, he had all things. Christian, your words reflect more about your heart than anything. Our Lord Jesus taught that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. This is a good way of measuring really where we are spiritually. And so if there's a lack of spiritual conversation, a lack of spiritual discussion, it's reflecting a backslidden state in our hearts. 4. Reconciliation can occur without rehearsing every hurt of the past. Jacob doesn't go over the fact that it was his mother that put him up to it. He takes ownership of his actions. And both men come into this matter willing to basically not even talk about it, but just let bygones be bygones. There's wisdom in this. Some people are obsessed with going over every detail, who said what, when they said it, and in doing so, it's counterproductive. They open up old wounds and make the whole matter much more difficult than it really needs to be. Christian, learn to bury grudges quickly and even imperfectly. Solomon tells us, be not righteous over much, for why shouldst thou destroy thyself? And I think that's what some people do. They really destroy themselves. They destroy the possibility of healing because they simply can't bury grudges quickly and, if necessary, even imperfectly. 5. Repairing relationships is not the same as restoring fellowship. 
There is a huge worldview difference between Jacob and Esau, an insurmountable one. And so while they have restored the relationship, Jacob can't go with Esau to Seir. They cannot live in the same community. Christian, love your unsaved family members, but don't be surprised when it's difficult to really have a close relationship with them. Don't let any relationship cause you to compromise what God calls you to. 6. Be content knowing that if you have Christ, you have all. We've already reflected on this in the slight distinction between what Esau says and Jacob says. Jacob has all. Now sometimes in life we can feel a little like Asaph in Psalm 73. As we observe the prosperity of the wicked, it causes frustration and questions in our hearts and minds. Never forget, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, that all are yours and ye are Christ's. Or as he puts it to the Colossians, that Christ is our life. Oh, Christian, don't lose perspective. Put your life on the altar. Live a totally consecrated life unto God. Because in Christ, truly, you have all. And finally, make your commitment to Christ public. Matthew Henry said, Where we have a tent, God must have an altar. And so Jacob here builds his first altar. And as I've said, it was a monument, a testimony to a heathen world of his allegiance to the true and living God. Every time he took a sacrifice, every time he took his family, there were blood was shed and a substitute was offered. And there was a meditation and a consideration that this is the way to God. It was telling to the world his allegiance. And so, boys and girls, we also must show our allegiance to God by sharing the gospel, telling others how they can be saved. All of us, you adults and young people, you also must own your faith. Don't be silent. If we are silent Christians, then we are dim Christians. We are not shining the light. And we are called to shine the light. Oh, may we get the vision, grasp that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And God calls us to testify to a perishing world to set up our altars and our public testimony of our allegiance to Christ that only through him can sinners be saved.